All right. Well, I think we're live. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. My name is Noel. I'm here with Michael. Of course, this is the Unexpected Cosmology. And I'm really excited to have... Um, now I'm hearing the uh, the, the ringing, Michael, um, from your end. I'm really excited to have Michael here. And uh, most a great deal of you, he needs no introduction. You guys know who he is. In fact, if I were to say Rob and Michael, you guys would even know who that is. But there's been a lot of new audience coming in over the last year. So just to give Michael a you know quick introduction here is uh, he and I were uh, study partners for a couple years. And we went through uh, Hebrew Revelation together, Hebrew Yochanan, Hebrew uh, the Hebrew New Testament. So we went through John, Jew, James, uh, and Revelation. We went through a lot of the Aramaic Targum, uh, the Genesis together. And when was that, Michael? That was like a year ago or something. I, I can't remember the last one. Yeah, January, I think. Yeah, January. So it's been almost a year since he's been on. Michael has an open invitation. Um, you're welcome to come on any time on these Friday night uh, YouTube lives. I'm really excited he's here tonight, and I wish we did this more often. So uh, now, for those of you who may just be, of course, welcome everybody to my office. I am in a new uh, hotel. Last, uh, I was in the the uh, the Marriott before. Tonight is the Hilton. I'm picking wherever the best deal is on hotels.com. Uh, for those of you who are kind of drifting in here, maybe you weren't a part of the last studies, just to kind of give you a taste of what we're doing tonight so there's no confusion is we're going through the uh, the tour portion we're going through is from the paleo hebrew not the masoretic so the masoretic hebrew is what you're going to find uh in basically all bibles all old testaments and generally come from the uh some might use the greek lxx but they generally come from the hebrew masoretic the paleo is the oldest Hebrew language. It predates the Babylonian captivity. So we're going to see a lot of different name changes. Uh, uh, people have one of the big comments they get on YouTube is, why do you keep saying uh, Yahuwah? Like, what is that? And it, it isn't supposed to be like uh, Yahuwah or Yahweh. Same thing. So, you know, in the in the Masoretic, you would generally say Yahuwah or some variant of it. But here we're saying Yahuwah. And rather than uh, Elohim, which would be the Masoretic Hebrew for uh, the Father, we say Allahayam. So, uh, with that, we're going to get started, and I'm going to uh, start. Well, we've this is going to be, I think, epic tonight because uh, I think I have at least two hours worth of material, and who knows what Michael has showed up with. And I'm going to be handing over to Michael to give the first commentary. We're going to read different sections, and then. Hand over to him, and then I'll give my end. So let's get right into it. Paleo uh, Bereshith, uh, starting out chapter, hopefully I got all the, the numbers right, uh, chapter 25, 19 through 26, the history of Yitzhak. And these are the children of Yitzhak, son of Abraham. Abraham begat Yitzhak, and Yitzhak, son of Abraham, was 40 years old, when he took for his woman Rivka, the daughter of Bethuel, the uh, Aramea of Padam Aram. And a quick little commentary here. I, it, according to the book of Yasher, there's actually a 30-year difference. He Yitchak is 40. His woman, Rivka, is 10 years old, according to uh, Yasher. And by the way, she wasn't a girl. She was very much a woman. 
the sister of Laban, the uh, uh, the Aramea. And Yitzhak prayed to Yahuwah, the ever-living, about his wife, for she was childless. And Yahuwah answered him. And Rivka, or as uh, Pamela puts here in the, in the Paleo translation, uh, Rabuka, or for, you know, Rebecca, his woman conceived and the children struggled together in her midst, in her womb. And she consequently said, why does this happen to me? And she walked to inquire of Yahuwah, the ever-living. I like that line there. And she walked to inquire. She journeyed somewhere to it to inquire. It wasn't something that she, you know, did right there in her tent or her camp. She went somewhere else to where she knew Yahuwah would be. And I'll be talking about that tonight. And Yahuwah said to her, two nations are in your inmost part, and two peoples shall proceed from your womb. And one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. When her days were full for her delivery, there were twins. And the firstborn came out covered with hair, and she called his name Eshawa uh, or Harry. And Eshawa would be Esau, meaning Harry. Then after him came his brother with his hand holding the heel of Eshaw uh, or Esau. So they called his name Yaakov. Though, of course, Pamela puts the B in here, so we could say Yaakov. He, he will grab the heel. Yitchak was 60 years old at the birth of them. So, I mean, right there you're seeing if he married Rivka at the age of 40, now he's 60. So there's been 20 years that have just gone by in this passage. Michael, I'm handing over to you uh, for whatever commentary you want to talk about here. uh michael you're you're muted oh i'm sorry geez rookie mistake so <laughs> thanks for having me um it's always a blessing to do these studies with you and uh it's awesome it, ironically too it's we were doing the targums and we stopped on 25. so that was pretty cool that was the last one we did so it's perfect to be picking it up here so i, did, um, I didn't realize that this is what we yeah. left off yeah yeah 25 was yep um so i still have notes i'm using from that one but it'll be new to a lot of people um, okay, so I want to talk about the first, the barren woman. So it's going to be tough because there's no numbers on the paleo, but in verse two, it talks about um, Rebecca being barren. You know, I want to talk about some other women in the Bible that were barren. Um, and by the will of God, they, you know, they gave birth and had amazing sons. Um, so Sarah was, was barren prior to the birth of Isaac. Rebecca right here in Genesis 25. Um, gave birth to Jacob or Israel. Rachel, which is the another, which is the another wife in the in the line um, of she gave birth to Joseph. Um, Manoah um, was barren and gave birth to Samson, and Hannah was barren prior to the birth of Samuel. So just you know everything repeats. There's so much repetitiveness within the Bible. Um, um, and then you even look in the New Testament. John, you know John, his his uh, mom was barren, gave birth to him. And Mary, Mary wasn't barren, but she was like the like a 180. She was she was a virgin and she gave birth. So it was just amazing the you know the end, you know, the he just keeps saying the same thing and obviously trying to you know show us something there. Um you kind of highlighted it too when she went to inquire, and I'm gonna butcher the names. I'm still getting used to the paleo here. And she went to inquire of Yahuwah, the ever living. Um, and you might even have this. 
But uh, and I, I remember we talked about this. So I was reading a commentary that concluded that Rebecca went to the school of Shem and Eber to inquire. So that's that's what uh, this commentary was saying. Um, and uh, and yeah, so school of Shem. I know. I remember we did some studies on that. Um, a few more on this first part. This is like one of my most you know where I have a lot of the parts here. Um, so when her days were full for her delivery, there were twins. That's what Pam translated there. And during our Targum study, you know, I remember it started off with a word study and it, it kind of went down this rabbit hole. I'm not going to go down that crazy rabbit hole, but, you know, it reminded me of Judah and Tamar and their birth of twins. So here we have Jacob and Esau and this other twin of Perez and Zerah and some of the similarities, um, in both cases, the wife conceives twins. Um, there were struggles in the womb. So as we know here, Jacob and Esau, they're fighting in the womb, grabbing the heel. Same thing with Perez and Zerah. There was a struggle. Um, Zerah, or no, Perez puts his hand out first, but then goes back in and Perez comes out. Actually, the other way around. Zerah puts his hand out first. Perez kind of pulls him, and then he comes out first. Um, and in both cases, um, the one who came out first was marked with red. And we're going to get to that because that's one of the things that I noticed in this paleo. So in the Masoretic, you know, uh, Esau was red and hairy, right? Everybody knows that. Um, Perez had a red thread that came out with a red scarlet thread around his wrist. And so I wanted to, you know, kind of tease it there. Um, on number 25, at least on the Masoretic, now the first came forth red. Oh, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And the paleo didn't say that. And I was hoping maybe Pam can elaborate on that. And I'll hand it back to you, Noel. All right. So uh, the interestingly enough here, the 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 play is uh, well. Hold on here. Let me get back here real quick. Ah, my mouse is going crazy tonight. My computer is like in a reverse position. Um, all right. So the we see a, a duality happening here and very clearly and michael touched on some of it we, it's what i think is happening here is a play on the genesis 315 prophecy uh in which satan is attempting to uh, reverse engineer the the crushing of the head the biting of the heel the crushing of the head and we're going to see this played out through the history of of esau's people the edomites now, the word Esau, it, as written in Hebrew, uh, appears, and I would be interested to hear uh, some of Pamela's thoughts on this, but it appears to be related to the word for grass, you know, like hairy, right, grass, but but actually specifically an unfruitful type of grass, that, something more like a weed or a tear. This is a grass that does not produce fruits. And as you're going to see in some of these passages that I'm going to read from like the extra-biblical books tonight, um, it, they specifically say that he was, uh, he was deceitful. He deceived his father, Yitshak. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, how in the world was Yitshak so deceived? And then we're going to see next week how Yaakov is deceived for like 20 years. Uh, he's like under a spell. And I'm like, well, wait a second. That's that's like our life story. Like we are coming out of this deception and this um, and, you know, these spells that we were in in the world. And that's, you know, the, the story of the patriarchs of Yashorel is our story. All right. So, the, you know, the idea here is that, you know, he's, and I think we we did talk about this. Uh, this rings a bell, Michael, that uh, we talked about how, I guess a year ago, that the, the idea of 
uh, Yaakov, I'm getting all their names mixed up. Yaakov coming up, holding the heel of Esau is the idea that they were already struggling within the womb. Uh, Rivka has commented on this, that you know there's this war going on. And so the idea is, is that Esau was trying to take Yitchak out in the, in the womb, and Yitchak is coming out trying to keep, holding on his, to his heel to keep him from crushing his head. All right. So when we fast forward to the Herodian dynasty, for those of you who remember the uh, Bezora Kifa study I did, the, the Gospel of Peter, and in there it's very provocative that it straight up says that Herod was the one to put Yahushua HaMashiach to death. You know, uh, Pontius Pilate washed his hands, said, I'm, I'm done with this, I, I am clean of this, hands him over to Herod, and Herod's like, all right, let's do him in. And interestingly enough, the... Uh, the, you know, you can just go to Wiki, go to the front page. They will tell you that the the Herodian dynasty, they were a royal regime of the, uh, I guess you would pronounce it, Edomian descent, which is the same thing as the Edomites. Okay, they were the Edomites. They are the children of Esau. So all those prophecies where it says through scripture how the Edomites would come in uh, to the land and, you know, do their thing. I, I, I actually think um i don't really hold to that as happening now per se that's a whole different picture of what's going on now in the land uh I, I can't prove that those are edomites people say that i can't prove it i can show that they are of like turkish descent and you know that they come from japheth not from shem uh but uh the edomite prophecies i think was fulfilled with herod uh and so this is what josephus says all right that uh, he says, Hersanus Her took also Dora and Marissa, cities of Idumia, and subdued all the Idumians um, and permitted them to stay in the country if they would circumcise their genitals and make use of the laws of the Jews. And they were so desirous of living in, in the country, that he's talking about Judea, Yehuda, of their forefathers, that they submitted to the use of circumcision and the rest of the Jewish ways of living, at which time, therefore, this befell them that they were hereafter no other than jews and so you have josephus saying here that the edomites became the yahudim and they took over the, the priestly duty they took over herod and so what happens when mashiach is born uh herod an edomite descendant of esau attempts to crush his head destroy him right we see this coming out this reverse engineering type of um idea all right so i just lost uh Problem is when I'm going on multiple screens here. All right, so let's look here at a interesting midrash. And I yes, I put midrash here specifically. Um, let me get rid of this so you guys can see this. Uh, interestingly enough, here uh, Paul is writing about the dualism that he sees, and that this is the amazing thing. I, I've been having so many conversations with people recently about trying to show them that. All these epistles in the New Testament, written by Paul, written by James, written by you know Jude, uh, you know so on and so forth. They are uh, Paul specifically. He is writing this midrash tradition where he is actually uh, kind of like the Aramaic uh, targums, where he is actually interpreting uh, interpreting the Torah for us. And here he is directly referencing, undoubtedly in my mind the Yaakov and Esau situation in Rivka's womb. So keep that in mind that she has in her uh, this dualistic uh, good and evil battling in her womb as you read Romans chapter 7. Also, just quick note for those of you who remember, I went through the Roman study. I ended in chapter 6. 
I never got to seven. I want to finish this. So I want to pick up right here where Paul's talking. We're going to read verse one and then jump to 14 for, for sake of time. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the Torah, right? So he's not talking to people who don't know the Torah. If you don't know the Torah, he's not talking to you, all right? So he's going to be referring to it. How that the Torah hath dominion over man as long as he liveth, all right? So that's kind of the context of his conversation, jumping to 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. We just saw the dualism right there, the spiritual material. One is righteous, one is sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that that do I. If then I do that, oh, man, this mouse is driving me crazy tonight. Okay. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, the, the, think of flesh as Esau here, the, 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 the tare versus the wheat. That is in, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For too well is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> like what if Paul, come on, man, why do you have to write like so complicated like this? Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. No wonder why people read this and go, the law was done away with. That I that must be what he means. That the Torah is done away with. That's not what he's saying, by the way. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the Torah of Elohim, or the Torah of Allah Hayam, after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I think Allah Hayam, through Yahushua HaMashiach, our uh, Adonai. So then with the mind, I myself serve the Torah of Allah Hayam, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So we're going to see that tonight, that uh, between Yaakov and Esau, one is the, the law of sin of the flesh, and one is the law of righteousness of heaven, of uh, Allah Hayam and, and uh, Yahuwah. All right. Now, I didn't want to do this. I've been fighting against this in past weeks, uh, but uh, I'm going to be reading through the Aramaic Targum because this is, I love this passage in the Aramaic Targum. Speaking of uh, midrashes, this is some phenomenal commentary on what we just read. So let's get through this. And Yitzhak was the son of 40 years when he took Rivka, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramites, who was a Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramite, unto him for a wife. And Yitzhak went to the mountain of worship, the place where his father had bound him. So remember when we read that, that, uh, Rivka journeyed somewhere, all right? She journeyed somewhere to meet Yahuwah. Well, now we know it's the mountain of worship. Uh, this would be, uh, in my opinion, it's not the temple mount. It, this would be the city of David. And Yitzhak in his prayer turned the attention of the Holy One, blessed be he, from that which he had decreed concerning him who had been childless. And he was enlarged, and Rivka, his wife, was with child. 
and the children pressed in her womb as men doing battle. And she said, if this is the anguish of a mother, what then are children to me? Now, keep in mind, guys, that like she just went through, uh, did I say it was 20 or 30 years? It was, he was, it was like 20 years that she went through the inability, infertility, the inability to have children. And for those of you who have struggled with that, my wife and I struggled with it for not that long. It was about uh, 12 to 14 years we struggled with infertility. It was it felt like forever. It felt like it was never going to happen. And then, you know, we also had twins, interestingly enough, but they were not battling in the womb. So you can imagine this woman is – uh, is, is she's like, I, I am not producing fruits as I'm supposed to. There's something wrong with me. The, the women of that culture probably shunned her, not as one of them, because she could not give, you know, hard going down to the water well when all these other women are like, don't associate with her. And now she finally has these children and they're battling in the womb. Uh, and she went into the school of Shem Rabba or Rabbi Shem to supplicate mercy before Yahuwah. And Yahuwah said to her, two peoples are in thy womb, and two kingdoms from thy womb shall be separated. And one kingdom shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger, if the children of the younger will keep the commandments of the Torah. So now you know that when she, when Yahuwah spoke to her, she is in the school of Shem, on the mountain of worship. Interestingly enough, um, you know, the Melchizedek Temple um, I, I actually kind of wrote this in a paper. I, I've never given a presentation on it. The Mechizedek Deck Temple, guys, has been discovered. And it's on where the city of David was, not the Temple Mount. And so they're telling you right here that the, 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 the place where the sacrifice happens is completely separated from, from where they say it was. Completely separated. And the 270 days of her being with child were completed to bring forth. And behold, twins were born in her womb. And the first came uh, forth holy red as a garment of hair. And they called his name Esau because he was born altogether complete with the hair of the head and the beard and teeth and grinders. Afterwards came forth his brother and his hand had uh, hold on the heel of Esau. And they called his name Yaakov. And Yitzhak was a son of 60 years when he begot them. All right. Now I'm going to read the same account from Yasher chapter 26. And we're going to see a lot of similarities, but some added detail as well hopefully. And in the 59th year of the life of Yitzhak, uh, the son of Abraham, Rebekah, his wife was still barren in those days, or Rivka, his wife was still barren in those days. And Rivka said unto Yitzhak, so keep in mind now, the, the 59th, right? So we're one year away from him turning 60 when the twins are born. And Rivka said unto Yitzhak, truly, I have heard my Adonai, that thy mother Sarah, or Sharaha, was barren in her days until my uh, Adon, Abraham, thy father, prayed for her, and she conceived by him. Now, therefore, stand up, pray thou also to Allah Hayam, and he will hear thy prayer and remember us through his mercies. And Yitchak answered his wife Rivka, saying, Abraham has already prayed for me to Allah Hayam to multiply his seed. Now, therefore, this barrenness must proceed to us from thee. Ouch. He's, he's basically saying, it's not me, it's you. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yitzhak says some things that it's just like, oh man, come on, come on, Yitzhak, get with it. And and Rivka said unto him, but arise now thou also and pray that uh, that Yahuwah may hear thy prayer and grant me children. And Yitzhak hearkened to the words of his wife. And Yitzhak and his wife rose up and went to the land of Moriah to pray there and seek 
Yahuwaha. So there we are, we're seeing with the, the Bereshia passage, right? They go somewhere else to seek him. Kind of interesting, like they they weren't able to seek him where they were at. Let me think about that. Kind of interesting. And when they had reached the place, Yitchak stood up and prayed to Yahuwaha on account of his wife because she was barren. And Yitchak said, uh, uh, I, I would assume this would be, oh, Yahuwaha, uh, Allah of heaven and earth, whose goodness and mercies fill the earth. Thou who did take my father from his father's house and from his birthplace and did bring him unto this land and did say unto him, to thy seed will I give the land. And thou did promise him and did declare unto him, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the sea. Now may the words, thy words be verified, which you did speak unto my father. For you are uh, Yehuwaha, our Allah Hayam. Our eyes are towards thee to give us seed of men. And thou did promise us. For thou art uh, Yehuwaha, our Allah Hayam. And our eyes are directed towards thee only. It's hard to kind of interpret this when, you know, I'm, I'm using a translation here that doesn't have the correct names. And Yehuwaha heard the prayer of Yishak, the son of Abraham. And Yehuwaha was entreated of him. And Rivka, his wife, conceived. And in about seven months after the children struggled together within her, and it pained her greatly that she was wearied on account of them. And she said to all the women who were then in the land, that such a thing happened to you as it has to me. Keep in mind, these other women has probably already shunned her now that she's pregnant, she's in with the, with the women. And she's like, you know, this happened to you guys? And they said to her, no, it hasn't. Nothing like that has ever happened to us. And she said unto them, why am I alone in this amongst all the women that were upon the earth? And she went to the land of Moriah to seek Yahuwaha on account of this. And she went to Shem and Eber. So we saw this in the Aramaic Targum. We're seeing this again in Gasher. His son to make inquiries of them in this matter. And they that they should seek Yahuwaha in this thing respecting her. And she also asked Abraham to seek and inquire of Yahuwaha about all that had befallen her. And they all inquired of Yahuwaha concerning this matter. And they brought her word from Yahuwaha and told her, Two children are in thy womb, and two nations shall arise from them. And one nation shall be stronger than the other, and the greater shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were completed, she knelt down, and behold, there were twins in her womb, as Yahuwaha had spoken to her. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and all the people of the land called his name Esau, saying that this one was made complete from the womb. And after that came his brother, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, therefore they called his name Yaakov. And Yitchak, the son of Abraham, was six years old when he begot them. All right. All right. So uh, before I continue on, Michael, uh, you would ask Pamela a question. She looks like she answered. I kind of missed the whole conversation. Did you want to expand on anything? I just asked her about he wasn't read. Esau wasn't read in the paleo. But it turns out it just wasn't at that verse. So a few verses later, it's it's. Let's see what she says. Um, he's called Red Soup. I believe he was red, red-haired and hairy. So it was just out of order, not out of order, but just further down on the story. So. Okay, very cool. All right, so I'm gonna uh, read the next section, and then I'll hand it over to you again for uh, first commentary. This is uh, getting back into the Paleo Barashiath, chapter 25, verses 27 through 34. And this is where Esau or Esha, I can't even pronounce this. I'm sorry, guys. But Esau sells his birthright foolishly. I think if Pamela were to, to say it once for me, I would go like, okay, that's how you pronounce it. When the lads grew up, Esau was a man skillful in hunting, a man of the field, 
But Yaakov was an upright man, a dweller in the tents. This sounds just like uh, Cain and Abel all over again. So Yitzhak loved Esau because he hunted with him. But Rivka loved Yaakov. Now, I don't want to take any of Michael's commentary, but I mean, it's it's like this makes so much sense to me. I mean, the eldest son, Esau, is, uh, and this typically happens in, in with, with children. Uh, you see these patterns where the uh, generally, like if you have three, three sons, for example, the eldest tries to conform to the father. The youngest tends to be the rebel. And the middle child tends to be the like the, the the problem solver, the one that tries to get everyone to you know kind of get along. Uh, like if there was a divorce situation with the parent, it's usually like the 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 eldest and the youngest might take sides, but the middle child kind of tries to like come on, let's work this out type of thing. And so you see here that uh, Yitchak he loves Esau because he's going off and hunting with him, he's doing dad things, but then he sees uh, Yaakov who's mommy's little girl. Now, I need to point out here that who else was mommy's little girl? Well, Yitzhak was. He lived in Sharaha's tents up until the day she died and even afterwards. And I mean, he he like slept in her bed. So, you know, he I, like he I don't know if he ever went out and almost did stuff, you know, uh, aside from uh, being in the, the school of Shem. So I'm kind of saying here that really the, the, the tragedy in the story is that uh, Yaakov is more like his father. He has more of the heart of his father, uh, wanting to, we'll see how he wants to be schooled uh, with Shem and learn the Torah and that kind of stuff, just as uh, Yitchak did. Um, but he's he's like loving a son that's more like his brother Yishmael. All right. Once when Yaakov was boiling pottage, and this goes into what I have the comment up here, what Pamela wrote, uh, that you get the understanding later he's called red soup all right he's boiling pottage and esau came from the field and he was exhausted so esau said to yaakov feed me now with that red pottage for i am exhausted therefore they called his name red soup or uh adawam which you know camera correct me if i'm wrong here but adam also means red correct like like red earth or something like that like there's red in there if i'm not mistaken but yaakov replied sell me your bakar today your, your inheritance sell me your inheritance today then esau answered now i'm going to die what is uh what is my inheritance to me so yaakov said swear to me now at once and he swore to him and sold his bakar or his rights as firstborn his inheritance to Yaakov. Then Yaakov gave to Esau bread and little pottage, and he ate and drank and rose up and went. Thus, Esau trampled underfoot his uh, bekar, bekar, his his uh, rights as a firstborn. He trampled it. All right. So I'm going to stop there and uh, give it, hand it back to you, Michael. All right. Awesome. Pam put uh, how to pronounce. Esau, it's it's I Shaua, if that helps. <laughs> Adam means chief or first blood. The red is inferred, so that's kind of cool. Um, so what I have on this part um, in the Masoretic is twenty-seven. So when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, man of the field, and Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. 
And I noticed the paleo says upright. So I kind of like that. It's kind of, you know, similar, uh, but an upright man is peaceful. So I like, I like her translation there. Um, when the lads grew up, let me, let me try to do this here. Aisha Ua was a man skillful in hunting, a man of the field. And I found this awesome cross-reference um, with this story. So Isaiah 22, 12 says, Therefore, in that day, the Lord, Yahuwah of hosts, called you to weeping, to wailing, to shaving the head, and to wearing sackcloth. Instead, there is gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle and slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we may die. So I thought of Esau here, here because, you know, he was living in the moment, just wanted to eat. And for tomorrow he would die. He's not worried about that. I thought that was interesting. Isaiah 22, 12 through 13. Um, number 33, it says, And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. So I noticed um, Esau goes from being exhausted to to he's dying. <laughs> so it's, um, let's see, what does it say? Um, well, I guess he, you know, he comes home from hunting, he's exhausted. And then all of a sudden he's just willing to die. Like it, there's, are we missing something? I think we are. There's something we're missing in between it being, just being exhausted from hunting, giving away his birthright to already he's, he's, he's okay with dying. Um, but yeah, Jacob replied, sell me your bakar today. So, so the, the word for birthright, at least in the, you know, the Masoretic was bakora. So, it belonged to the oldest son in each family. This birthright was the most valuable thing a person could have, even more than wealth or worldly treasure, because its holder was entitled to three exclusive privileges. So this is what the birthright, what they were fighting for. First of all, he was the leader of the family and as such had the right to determine the, the direction of the entire clan. Secondly, he was the judicial authority for the whole tribe. That meant if there was an argument, between neighbors or family, he made the judgment call and defined the resolution. And finally, the holder of the Bakura or the Bakar received a double portion of the inheritance. That's probably the most famous part. And that meant a lot if he was part of a well-to-do family. So that's, you know, you just hear the word birth, birthright. We don't really, it means nothing in 2023, but back then that's, that's what it meant. Um, the last part I have here, I think, yes, last part, um, you know, if you, we're part of the, the pre-show in Discord. We're going over Jubilees a lot and you know, trying to look at the discrepancies there. It's interesting, in Jubilees 53, there was a famine in the land during this time of the story. Is that one of, another reason why the deals were made? You know, It's actually in the next chapter, we're gonna to get to it, but um, it, it was similar to Joseph and Egypt. So did Esau think he was going to die and didn't trust Esau didn't think he was he was going to die and didn't trust God. So he was worried about tomorrow as that Isaiah passage and he just wanted food maybe relatively because there was a famine in the land and he was he didn't have that faith. Um, that's what I got for this next part. I'm off to know. All right, so uh, I'm going to put post this comment back up here. Pavla had mentioned that the pottage was probably red lentils. And that agrees, of course, with the rabbinical commentary. Uh, the the rabbis would teach that. Uh, well, first of all, they they point out, and this agrees with um, you know the Aramaic Targum and uh, Yasher, that <clears throat> when 
Yaakov says uh, this day. Sell me your inheritance this day. Well, what does that mean this day? Well, it actually meant it was the day that Abraham died. So Abraham has just died. And you actually see both sons grieving in their own way. Um, it, it's no coincidence. I don't, it's that uh, Yaakov goes out and kills Nimrod that very day. It, it, it was probably almost like, okay, Abraham is dead. Nimrod wanted to take him out. I'm going and killing him. I, I'm going to, you know, this is how I'm dealing with this. I'm going to go out and, and, you know, I think he cut his head off. We'll read that passage. Uh, don't quote me on whether he cut his head off or not until we get there. Uh, and we see, interestingly enough, um, that Yaakov is out there making lentil soup. Well, here's the interesting thing about lentils. It, it would have, uh, um, it, it was lentil soup was considered a mourner's food. He was making this to mourn. Um, and they are, um, the, the lentils are like eggs in that they're they're circular. And the idea is, is that it, remi it would remind him that uh, you know, one generation dies off and the next continues and it keeps going around and around like the Ouroboros. You know, the Hebrews had this idea that the time itself was circular. It just kept going around in a circle. It wasn't in this linear fashion, like, you know, with evolutionary where you have this mysterious beginning and it kind of just goes somewhere. And we don't know where it's going to end up. Obviously, you know, that's why prophecy is so repetitive and why, the, you know, why it can be said that nothing happens to Yashril that didn't first happen to the patriarchs because it just keeps happening over and over again, right? So that's what he's, that's kind of, I think, what's going through his mind partly uh, while he's making the soup. Um, and uh, I think that's, wow, the only commentary I have on the lentil soup. So let me read what it says here in the uh, the Aramaic Targum. So we're, we're going to look at Bereshith. Um, 25, let me lose that so you guys can read this. And the land grew, and Esau was a man of idleness to catch birds and beasts, a man going forth into the field to kill lives. So in, in a way, I mean, he, he very much inhabits the, the personality of Cain, um, and he's killer. You could, you know, you could interchange the word kill and murder, right? So as Nimrod had killed, so he's he's actually, he has, now it's identifying with the spirit of Nimrod, a mighty hunter, as Nimrod had killed and and uh, Hanok, his son. But Yaakov was a man peaceful in his words, a minister of the instruction house of Eber, seeking instruction before Yahuwaha. And isn't this is just like one of those amazing father-son tales where you know every son wants to win the respect of his father and very few sons feel like they do you know and it's interesting that you know that here again Yitzhak he went to the house of, of Shimon Eber he went and learned he learned the Torah and now you have his son following in his footsteps and he's like yeah I like I'm Esau's Esau's you know my my main squeeze and Yitzhak loved Esau for words of deceit were in his mouth. So there you have right there that Yitchak is being deceived by Esau. Of course, Rivka saw through it. She was able to go like, mm, yeah, there's something wrong with that son. I don't, but you know, she was, nobody was able to convince Yitchak of this. But Rivka loved Yaakov. On the day that Abraham died, Yaakov dressed pottages of lentils. So there it is right there. And that's how he's mourning and was going to comfort his father. 
So now he's making the soup to comfort the very father that, you know, isn't, you know, doesn't respect him much. And Esau came from the wilderness exhausted. For in that day he had committed five transgressions. He had worshipped with strange worship. He had shed innocent blood. He had gone in unto a betrothed damsel. So he's committed adultery. And the strange worship is really interesting too. Um, it makes me wonder if there was a fire involved uh, or uh, even an Elohim of the Nimrodic uh, religion uh, driving from Semiramis. Uh, he had shed innocent blood. He had gone in into a betrothed damsel. He had denied the life of the world to come and had despised his birthright. Now, if you read the Aramaic Targum back in uh, Genesis 3, Bereshia 3, uh, Cain does the same thing. He he's basically becomes a spiritual agnostic saying that he will have no life in the world to come. He doesn't believe it. You know, and Abel says, no, there is. And you're going to be, you know, there's consequences and all that kind of stuff. And so he's he's coming to the same decision. And Esau said to Yaakov, let me now taste that red pottage, for I am faint. And therefore he called his name Edom. And of course, you know, the reason why it was so easy for him to, to uh, give up his birthrights because he didn't believe in the world to come, right? So he's he's handing, it's not just the land itself or the family, it's it's the spiritual heritage, which his children, the children of Esau, they now are, you see in the rest of the Bible, I, I took you to uh, King Herod, for the rest of the Bible and their history, they're trying to reclaim what what their father uh, Esau forsook and Yaakov said sell today as on this very day what thou wouldst hereafter appropriate thy birthright unto me and Esau said behold I'm going to die and in another world I shall have no life and what then and I, I actually really like Michael what you would comment out about the uh the I didn't make that connection with the uh the drought you know that that was going on the famine uh that that's really interesting that yeah he was he he had just gone through this very traumatic experience offing nimrod and just so you guys know you know my theory on this is that i gave a presentation the many lives of nimrod in which i actually think that nimrod was a title that was given afterwards that there was nobody actually called nimrod i think that happens you know some people are like what what are you talking about i think there's a lot more people in the bible that were called names after the fact than the, what they were calling their lifetime. I've showed you how Moshe had like 12 different names. Uh, Abimelech, there was a father and the son, and the son took the title of his father, and he became Abimelech. Uh, this Abimelech we're going to encounter tonight is the son of the other Abimelech. It's not the original Abimelech. And um, and so I'm of the opinion, and I, I, I've shown in the historical documents, that I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm getting this from historical people uh, who believe that the original Nimrod was a giant. His name, uh, he they called him Nimrod, but he had a son and then Abraham encountered the third Nimrod and that this would be the fourth and final Nimrod. All right. So take that with, you know, a salt shaker, but I think that there is, uh, there's something to that. Anyways, I'm going to die in another world. I shall have no life. And what then to me is the birthright or the portion in the world of which thou speakest. And Yaakov said, swear to me today that so sh it shall be. And he sweared to him and sold his birthright to Yaakov. And of course, he's been trying to get it back ever since. And Yaakov gave to Esau bread and pottage for lentils. And he ate and drank. And it's interesting now. Keep in mind, like the Ouroboros, right? He's giving him something that is, is reminding him of the circular nature, right? But Esau, he doesn't even believe that very message, uh, the, 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 the 
you could even call the gospel in the soup. He doesn't believe it. And, you know, he's just trying to quench his thirst down. We're going to see the same thing later on with the wells, how the people are burying the wells and putting dirt in them. Like, why would they do that in a famine, right? But th there's a, a, a spiritual theological reason as to why they're doing that, right? And he ate and drank and arose and went, and Esau scorned the birthright. He scorned it. And the portion of the world that comes, that's really kind of a disastrous um, ending there in the passage. All right, now reading from Yasher 26, uh, rereading 17 through 18, and then 27, 1 through 17. I am turning off this light, even though it makes it dark in here. That thing is just like boiling my, my, my flesh. That thing was making me sweat. All right, and the boys grew up to their 15th year, so they're, they're teenagers, and they came amongst the society of men. He's, so, okay, it's, it's kind of like they're, they're, they're coming into manhood now, right? Esau was designed, was he designing a deceitful man? So twice we have seen this, and an expert hunter in the field. And Yaakov was a man perfect and wise, dwelling in tents, feeding flocks. Where have we seen this before? With Abel, right? He's staying in one place. He's keeping, he is a, as a shepherd, he is a, he's a spiritual shepherd, right? He, it, that's the, the picture that's been given to us here. He's a spiritual man. And Esau is, you know, he wants to be a mighty hunter. Feeding flocks and learning the instructions of Yahuwah and the commands of his father and mother. And Yitzhak and the children of his household dwelt with his father Abraham in the land of Canaan as Elohim or Alhayam had commanded them. All right, skipping forward to the next chapter. And Esau at that time after the death of Abraham frequently went in the field to hunt. And, uh, and Nimrod, king of Babel, the same was Amraphel, also frequently went with his mighty men to hunt in the field. Oh my goodness, I, I've had commentary on Amraphel before. Um, in, I think in my Nimrod paper, I, I can't even remember it at the moment, but I, I commented on Amraphel. Anyways, in Nimrod, king of Babel, the same was Amraphel, also frequently went with his mighty men to hunt in the field and to walk about with his men in the cool of the day. And Nimrod was observing Esau all the days, for a jealousy was formed in the heart of Nimrod against Esau all the days. And on a certain day, Esau went in the field to hunt, and he found Nimrod walking in the wilderness of, with his two men. Um, it, it, it's interesting, you know, Nimrod is, is uh, jealous of Esau. And um, if you go into rabbinical tradition, this might, you know, be getting into mythology. Not really sure. I mean, speaking of Valentine's Day, uh, we were talking about that in the, the pre-show, is that Esau is the adoptive father of, uh, was it Remulus and Remus, uh, the twins, right? He's a twin. He adopts these two twins uh, that became the founders of Rome. And one of the reasons I think that's so important is that uh, he, it, it, keep in mind, Keep in mind, Herod was a client king of Edom. So there's there's something that very confessional in this, all right? But what Esau did, it wasn't that he just killed Nimrod. There was a transfer of power where now Nimrod's kingdom has come to an end. And I think by this point, his kingdom was probably pretty, you know, I think it was probably pretty shattered already. In fact, there was a there is two major floods that happened after Noah's flood. One was the Sahara Desert, where that whole place, um, you know, there's the eye of the Sahara there that some people think is Atlantis. That was taken out at post-flood. And then there was a huge flood that happened in Mesopotamia that some people confuse. They say is Noah's flood. It was just local. I don't uh, hold to that. 
but we have uh, accounts of Semiramis, uh, the the mother slash wife of Nimrod, uh, having to just dig up the mud banks there from the flood. I mean, it it was uh, that whole region was completely wiped out. Um, anyways, and all and all his mighty men and his people were with him in the wilderness, but they removed at a distance from him, and they went from him in different directions to hunt. And Esau concealed himself from Nimrod, and he lurked for him in the wilderness. And Nimrod and his men that were with him did not know him. And Nimrod and his men frequently walked about in the field at the cool of the day, and to know where his men were hunting in the field. And Nimrod and two of his men that were with him came to the place where they were. When Esau started suddenly from his lurking place and drew his sword and hastened and ran to Nimrod and cut off his head. Isn't it interesting, too, that this Nimrod, he's not in uh, Babylon area. He's actually in Canaan. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, that for me, that kind of leads more to this idea that this is not the once great uh, Nimrod. Um, okay, when cut off his head, I just read that and kind of ignored it, that the big deal, right? Cut off his head. And Esau found, uh, fought a desperate fight with the two men that were with Nimrod. And when they called out to him, Esau turned to them and smote them to death with his sword. And all the mighty men of Nimrod who had left him to go to the wilderness heard the cry at a distance. And they knew the voices of those two men. And they ran to know the cause of it when they found the king and the two men that were with him lying dead in the wilderness. And when Esau saw the mighty men of Nimrod coming at a distance, he fled and thereby escaped. And Esau took the valuable garments of Nimrod, which Nimrod's father had bequeathed to Nimrod, and with which Nimrod prevailed over the whole land, and he ran and concealed them in his house. This is the garments that uh, uh, Adam and Chua, or Heva, were given uh, that was the serpent skin, the, the serpent skin that uh, that was shed in the garden after their sin that they were clothed in. That's, you know, then Ham stole from Noah. It ended up in Nimrod. Now Esau has it, right? So we're seeing a transfer of power um, from the, the sons of Cain over to Esau. And, uh, and Esau took those garments. And then, again, this is going to begin Rome, the, 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 you know, Greece and Rome and so on and so forth. And Esau took those garments and ran into the city on account of Nimrod's men. And he came into his father's house wearied and exhausted from fight. And he was ready to die through grief when he approached his brother Yaakov and sat before him. And he said unto his brother Yaakov, Behold, I shall die this day. And wherefore then do I want the birthright? And Yaakov acted wisely with Esau in this matter. And Esau sold his birthright to Yaakov, for it was so uh, brought about by Yahuwah. Let's see, do I want to? Yeah, I'll go ahead and finish this. And Esau's portion in the cave of the field of, of Machpelah which Abraham had bought from the children of Heth for the possession of the burial ground, Esau sold also to Yaakov. And Yaakov bought all this from his brother Esau for value given. That's, <laughs> I mean, it could be, it's quite the thing on the day of, of the death of Abraham. You're like, it's like, you, you, they're, they're like making a deal. And like, it's like, yeah, I want, I want everything you have as an older brother, but I want your grave plot too. Like, like you know he's like giving the soup he's like yeah but but <laughs> well, i'll take your grave plot too he's like fine you can have that too i shouldn't laugh at this it's really tragic uh all right so and yaakov wrote the whole of this in a book so he I, i'm assuming he's he's still got the soup you know and he's like well before i hand it like i gotta get this book out we gotta make this you know like official with like a receipt and everything so he wrote this whole thing in a book and he testified the same with witnesses so now 
<laughs> before you get the soup, we got to get witnesses, right? I mean, this is like a big ordeal. This isn't just like a little, a little quick transaction, transaction over like a minute, like a you know a minute or two discussion. It's like this is this is taking time, and he sealed it, and the book remained in the hands of Yaakov. And this, of course, testified more to what Michael said that you know that this is there's a famine in the land. Esau's like, I'm not getting food anywhere else. I need this this uh, this lentil soup. And when Nimrod, the son of Cush, died. His men lifted him up and brought him into consternation and buried him in his city. And all the days that Nimrod lived were 215 years and he died. So there we are giving, you know, a, a, a timeline according to the Masoretic. You know, we've been through this before. And the days that Nimrod reigned upon the people of the land were 185 years. Of course, Masoretic timeline. And uh, we do not have Jasher in the LXX timeline. I would love to see Jasher in the LXX timeline. Will it ever be discovered? I don't know. And Nimrod died by the sword of Esau in shame and contempt. And the seed of Abraham caused his death as he had seen in his dream. And at the death of Nimrod, his kingdom became divided into many uh, divisions. And all those parts that Nimrod reigned over were restored to the respective kings of the land who recovered them after the death of Nimrod. And all the people of the house of Nimrod were for a long time enslaved to all the other kings of the land. All right. Uh, so, uh, Michael, I'm going to go ahead and read the next section in Paleo Bereshith. We're chapter 26, 1 through 11, and I'm going to hand it back to you for commentary. So this, is, of course, Yitchak during a famine goes to Gararaha. Afterwards, there was a famine in the land beside the famine which was in the days of Abraham. So don't confuse the famine where he goes to Egypt, right? So Yitchak went to Abimelech king of the uh, Philistines, or the Falashathuyam of Gararaha. And again, this is, and Yasher makes it very clear, uh, as does the writings of Abraham, that this is the son of Abimelech, but he has taken the same name. Um, and by the way, I, I think that that's one of the ways they did it in Yasher. They, they very simple, just line changes where I think that they, I totally think there could have been uh, you know, some people just want to throw Yasher out, uh, but I think there could have been a simple line in there, you know, Nimrod, the son of Nimrod, you know, something like that. Very easily to do. Then Yahuwah appeared to him in a vision and said, descend not to, uh, I, I'm guessing that's Mitrim, descend not to Mitrim, don't go there. Dwell in the land that I promise you, remain in this land. And I will be with you and will bless you for to you and your race, I will give the whole of this country as a dwelling. And I will comp uh, complete the oath which I swore to your father, Abraham. And I will increase your race like the stars of the sky. And I will give to your race the whole of this country for a home. And I will uh, baraka, uh, bless you, all or barakaha, all the nations of the earth through you, uh, through your heir, excuse me. In accordance with what I promised to Abraham, according to my words, if you will carefully keep my commandments and statutes and laws. There's always that catch there, right? Like, like I'm going to do all this for you, but you still have to be obedient to me, to my commands. So Yitchak remained in uh, Gararaha. When the men of the place asked about his woman, he replied, she is my sister. Where have we seen this before? This is the third time this has happened. Happens with Pharaoh. It happens twice with Abimelech. For he feared to say, my woman, lest the men of the place should murder him for Rivka, for she was beautiful to look on. 
after he had resided a considerable time, it happened that Abimelech, king of the uh, uh, the Falashathuyam, I'm just going to say Philistines, uh, was looking out of his window when he saw Yitchak sporting with his wife uh, Rabuka or Rivka. And Abimelech therefore summoned Yitchak and he declared, now she is your woman. Then why did you say to me, she is my sister? And Yitchak answered, because I said to myself, I fear they will kill me because of her. Why did you do so to us? Abimelech said, perhaps one of the people might have slain with your woman and you would have brought sin upon us. Abimelech therefore commanded to all his people saying, Who, whoever touches this man, he will surely die. All right, uh, Michael, handing it over to you uh, if you have any commentary on this. Yeah, I just have one. Do you want to answer Matthew's question real quick or no? It says, are you suggesting that Romulus and Rus are the two men that Esau adopted? That sound right? Well, yeah. So uh, it's not that I'm suggesting it, uh, but when you get into uh, the Talmud, when you get into religions of the Jews, and this is one of the reasons I said we could put this under the battle banner officially of Jewish mythology, if you want, Jewish legends, right? Legends of the Jews. Uh, according to them, they are saying that yes, that Esau adopted them and that he became the uh, symbolic father of Rome, the spirit of Rome. And you know, for a while, I'm like, are they kind of just like, you know, they're just saving their butts, right, or whatever. But the thing is, is that, uh, again, when you when you trace down the Edomites, it's really interesting that uh, you have a guy like Herod, who was a client king of, of, of Rome, right? And so they were also, they were ultimately attached with Rome. So I don't know, if, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know if that's real history, but according to the extra biblical rabbinical traditions, yes, uh, he was the uh, the adopted father of, of Romulus and Remus uh, that in the cave with the wolf story and all that kind of stuff. And you know that's where we get Valentine's Day from, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, before I get going, I only have uh, two quick things. Pamela puts the name Abi Malak means my father is king. So. Uh, I said, is it, that's like a prince then. So it's like a prince appears. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, okay, so I'm gonna just read a little bit. I was struggling with those names as well. So then Yahuwah appeared to him in a vision and said, descend not to Matzarah Maha. Dwell in the land that I promise you, remain in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your race, I will give the whole of this country as a dwelling. I will complete the oath, which I swore to your father Abraham. Now I will increase your face like the stars of the sky, and I will give to your race the whole of this country for a home, and I will baraka all the nations of Herats through your heir. So I was reading a uh, commentary on this one. Genesis, it's Genesis 26.2 in the Masoretic um, that basically said that, um, you know, Yah commands Isaac not to leave, not to go to Egypt. And they basically were saying that, um, you know, a commentary told that God told Isaac that he was a burnt offering without blemish because he was a near sacrifice in Genesis 22. Um, and as a burnt offering, he became unfit if he was taken outside of temple grounds. So Isaac would be unfit if he went outside the promised land. So if that makes sense, I thought that was kind of cool. He was like a an offering with his father and, uh, and uh, himself. And then he couldn't leave the temple grounds. I remember we talked about that during the Targum, where he was the only one out of the patriarchs who, who did not leave 
um, who didn't travel. He basically stayed there his whole life. Um, and something else while you were reading, it kind of clicked. Um, you said, um, I think it was Jacob and Rebecca. He was sporting. He was sporting with Rebecca. And I, I remember I did a study on that. That's caressing. He was like caressing with her. So Abimelech saw him. He's like, oh, this is not your, you know, your sister. You're, you're caressing her. And I remember I did a study back when we were doing um, Ishmael. Ishmael was mocking um, Isaac, I guess. Ishmael was mocking Isaac. It was the same word as sporting. And I remember I did the, you know, the study that maybe possibly um, Sarah was a little jealous of uh, of that of their relationship, and he wasn't really mocking or making fun of his brother, but he was like holding him. I don't know. But uh, that's all I got for this first part. I got some more on the wells later. But off to you. Yeah. So uh, exceeding abundantly, here wrote. Uh, I put it up here on the screen so you can all read it. He wrote. Uh, Obadiah has a prophecy that Edom will control the land of Israel when Messiah returns. All right, so Edom will be destroyed at that time. Uh, interesting, Edom is the spirit of Rome. Now, uh, I kind of insinuated this earlier, uh, but back before I got into my millennial kingdom research, um, and you know the fact that the 70 AD generation was the fig, tr fig tree generation. Well, actually, I believe that for a long time, but I had, I guess, maybe some compartmental thoughts, some kind of cognitive dissonance, and I was kind of going with the the the, the typical standard uh, research that you know the modern Jews in Israel are the Edomites. The thing is, though, is that um, they, they there's actually more better research to show that they are actually Gog and Magog, uh, but um, but the thing is, is that when did Mashiach return? So has he returned? Is he returned yet, or has he not returned? If he came in the 60, 66 to 70, 72 timeline, then who was ruling Israel at that time? The Edomites were. The Edomites were the ones that had him killed, right? So he he comes in and he destroys the Edomites. That is Obadiah's prophecy. So I think that that happened uh, way back when. And, you know, the, uh, the, the, I have a lot of questions about who the, 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 the Spanish Jews are, um, if they're, you know, genuine Yahudim or not, I don't really know. But what I do know in, in the land, when I talk to the Spanish Jews, uh, is that they say that in the land that they are the ones that are treated very disrespectfully. Um, and, um, you know, and, and like the, uh, the Ashkenazi who are running Israel, um, you know who Ashkenazi? They are you know the sons of Japheth. That's that's the whole problem with you know they say you're well you're an anti-Semite if you're saying that. Well, okay, fine. I mean I, I'm saying that they're not Semitic. You have to be a child of Shem to be a Semite, right? So they're the, the children of uh, Japheth. They are uh, Ashkenazi, which means German, right? And they're they're running the show with the um, uh, they're they're basically running the Spanish Jews, whoever they are, whether they're the true Yahweh or not. I don't really know. All that to say is that yet you see these repeated patterns in prophecy because uh, everything is cyclical, right? It's a, it's like the Ouroboros. It just keeps going around and around. What happened will keep happening, I think, all through eternity. I think it's just going to keep happening. We're, we're going to be here a million years from now and we're like, yep, there it goes again. There it goes again. It just keeps happening. Uh, but anyways, all that to say is I think that the, the Edomite prophecy was fulfilled in the fig tree generation. Um, 
All right, so uh, that's just my commentary on that. Uh, just to answer that question, and you know, uh, let's keep moving on. All right, so oh, this is just okay. And um, let's see. All right, we read that. All right, now I'm gonna kind of, and I'm sorry, Michael. I, I'm kind of like going down this like weird path tonight right here. I'm kind of splitting. Why am I going to write from the Epic of Gilgamesh? Well, I was kind of triggered reading this because in, in that passage where Abimelech looks out the window, right? And he sees, uh, he says, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Yitchak with Rivka. And, and so we, and I said, this is the third time we've seen this now where there are third time where a, that you get this idea that these kings um, could just, they would just look out the window and they see a pretty lady and they're like, I'm taking that woman, right? We see the same thing with David, where he goes and he, uh, with Bathsheba's husband, he goes and takes Bathsheba and, and has him killed. Now, that was totally murderous because you see here, like with Abimelech, both times with Abimelech and with, well, Pharaoh might have been a little bit different, but both times with Abimelech, they're like, when they found out that uh, Sharaha and then Rivka were married, they're like, whoa, they they didn't want to kill um, uh Abraham, and then, uh, uh, man, all these different names. I can't say it's not Yitzhak. Um, David, however, when he found out she was married, he went and did beyond what Abimelech did. Interesting enough, David was like of the Mechilzedic priesthood, right? Well, both uh, Abimelech, the, the senior, was, uh, as I mentioned last week, he was of the Mechilzedic priesthood. Anyways, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read here from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, like a little passage from tablet one and hopefully you're going to see what i'm talking about this this little rabbit trail i'm going down gilgamesh went abroad in the world but he met with none who could withstand his arms till he came to uh europe now is gilgamesh nimrod i don't know i, I really don't know um i i in my nimrod paper i did talk about the gilgamesh uh, before the flood it was actually a giant gilgamesh really interesting and i actually think that the the the, the spirit of that nephilim creature uh actually uh you know came it, it kind of recycled uh through this gilgamesh like it's i kind of think it's the same individual kind of like Og was before the flood and he's after the flood gilgamesh was before, before the flood and after the flood is the same person as nimrod again i don't know there's a lot of um a lot of reasons to think he is but the men of Uruk muttered in their houses, Gilgamesh sound, sounds the toxin for his amusement. His arrogance has no bounds by day or night. No son is left with his father, for Gilgamesh takes them all, even the children. Yet the king should be a shepherd to his people. Of course, who was a shepherd to his people? Yitchak was, right? But Esau took on Nimrod. And they're saying Gilgamesh is not a shepherd to his people. His lust leaves no version to her lover. So there it is. Right. He he every woman that he sees, he goes and he takes her. He demands her. For, and so no, nobody gets a virgin. They're marrying people. Oh, yeah. Well, Gilgamesh had her first. Neither the warrior's daughter nor the wife of the noble. So he's taking other people's wives. Yet this is the shepherd of the city, wise, calmly and resolute. The Elohim heard their lament. The Elohim of heaven cried to the Lord of Uruk to Anu, the, the, uh, the Elohim of Uruk. A goddess made him strong as a savage bull. None can withstand his arms. No son is left with his father, for Gilgamesh takes them all. And is this the king, the shepherd of his people? He, his lust leaves no virgin to her lover, neither the warrior's daughter nor the wife of the noble. 
When Anu had heard their lamentation, the Elohim cried to Aruru, the goddess of creation. Hopefully you guys aren't like freaking out because I'm talking about these different Elohim, you know. Um, it just, you know, the text is what it is. You made him, O Aruru, now create his equal. Let it be as like him as his own reflection, his second self, stormy heart for stormy heart. Now keep in mind, I, I, I don't think reading about these different Elohim is pagan because the Bible tells me that there were these 70 Elohim that were set up over the nations. And I think that with those 70 Elohim that were set up, they would have had Elohim under them, right? A whole pantheon of, of gods. And so the, the Mesopotamian region, I think they had their, their Elohim over them. Uh, anyways, when Anu had heard their lamentation, the gods cried to, uh, oh yeah, you made him, oh, Aruru, now create his equal. All right, so they're 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 demanding that the the Elohim are getting together in this council. They're saying this Gilgamesh character has become so mighty, so strong, that we need to create somebody that can take him on, because no man alive can take him on. Uh, let it be as like him as his own reflection, his second self, stormy heart for stormy heart. Interesting. Who who took out Nimrod? Esau, right? Someone that was uh, comparable to him. Let them contend together and leave Uruk in quiet. So the goddess conceived an image in her mind, and it was of this of the stuff of Anu of the firmament. There's kind of interesting little little cosmology uh, quip there. She dipped her hands in water and pinched off clay. So she is making her own golem right now. She is creating a clay, uh, the kind of earthen creature, creating her her, her own Adam. She let it fall in the wilderness, and noble Enkidu was created. So Enkidu is this golem creature. There was virtue in him of the god of war, of Ninu, Ninurta himself. His body was rough. He had long hair like women's. Where have we read this before? It waved like the hair of Nisaba, the goddess of corn. His body was covered with matted hair like a Samugans, the god of cattle. So he looks like a wild creature, like a like a uh, almost like a Scottish cow or something like that his long hair. He was innocent of mankind. He knew nothing of the cultivated land. And Kidu ate grass in the hills. What? With a with the gazelle and lurked with the wild beasts in the water holes. He had joy of the water with the herds of wild game. But there was a trapper who met him one day face to face at the drinking hole, for the wild game had entered his territory. I'm going to stop it there. So, what they are describing, just so you guys know. This character in Kidu is uh, considered the first wild man in literature. Okay, he was a wild man, and this is theoretically, I believe, that the Sasquatch today, the Bigfoot, is the wild man. All right, same type of creature. They're a a, a, a unique creature that is both manifested in material realm, but also spiritual. They're like a fairy creature that can go, they can disappear and they can reappear. All right. Now, just hold all this thought. All right. I wanted to comment on this a few weeks ago when we were talking about Ishmael. Ishmael is straight up, and it's I think Pamela even put it in the paleo when I just read right over. I just I didn't want to touch it at that time. It, it calls him a wild man. Really interesting. I don't even know what all that means, but it describes Ishmael as a wild man. And then Esau very similarly has some interesting qualities as well, like that. All right. Now I'm going to read from the book of Gleanings. I want to do a study with this as a group. Uh, some heads will turn when I go through this. Um, just you this is in the the i'm not saying what i'm reading just like it is with epic of gilgamesh i'm not saying it's scripture in fact i'm saying it's not scripture okay just so there's no confusion uh but the the book of gleanings originates from egypt and uh it talks about this character herminator 
which I've looked at this every which way. And I am kind of falling under the opinion that this Terminator character is the Egyptian version of, wait for it, of Abraham. Okay. I kind of think they're talking about Abraham. Uh, the chapter before this, I'm not going through it all, but it, it, it's the exact same story as Abraham's birth in Yashar. Star appears. Nimrod the king tries to kill him as a baby. He survives, lives in the cave. Same story, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Concerning our father, Herminator, these things were written in the scroll of Pakkamen, scribe of the Firehawks. Generation had grown out of generation, and the Lord of Light and Life had hidden himself. Okay. Why did they're talking about the the ultimate, the father of all Ruakov, the creator? He has hidden himself from mankind. Well, when did that happen? It happened at the Tower of Babel. And, uh, and by the way, in, in the book of Gleanings, I read from this a few weeks ago. Remember the, the, the Noah's Ark flood story, and his name was Enoch? Same book. All right. <clears throat> they're talking about these events um, that Moses is also talking about. And of course, I believe that Genesis is. The word of Yahuwah, right? It's his testimony and trustworthy and true, just so everybody knows, right? Anyways, the Lord of light and life had hid himself, for he knew the nature of man, and none could find him. Well, who did find him, right? Time passed, and they sought him no more. So they're all turning to idolatry now. Then high-riding, ass-born king, one who was to reveal the light to men, praises to the Lord of light and life for Herminator, the light bringer. So Herminator is a prophet who is revealed from the Lord of light and life, and he's living in the Mesopotamian region in Babylon, just like Abraham was. He wandered the hillsides among shepherds who tended their flocks with care. He learned their ways. This was the wisest of men, and his body was filled to overflowing with manly powers. Wide striding, he measured the mountains, broad pastures. In anger, his face turned like the sun at noontide while in benevolence. It shed the calm glow of the moon in the night quietness. In courage and skill, none could match him. He was a child like no other before others uh, crawled. He stood upright. Uh, he learned his letters at three years. Now, this we can we can go through Abraham's history about, you know, I, I think he went to the school of Shem by the time he was three. I'd have to, you know, look at the different sources on that he could read and write at five he taught those who attended the temple with him when he was seven and what temple was he in he went to the school of shem and so we see that he's teaching others at the age of five uh or at the age of seven excuse me he was 10 when his foster father joined his fathers and the estate was divided through the women now that that's a divergence there um right his we know that his father died but this is his wait 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 no no wait wait well this is foster father, whatever. I'm not going to get into all these details. I have other things, other bigger fish to fry. At 12, he changed the course of the river falling down from the mountains to lead it through new pastures. And thus his mother became rich. At 13, he was sent to the shepherd of the city and trained with spear and shield. At 17, he slew the king's right-hand man and fled to the mountains of Akima. Now, uh, let's see. Let's just get through this. Like a beast of prey, he wandered at will. He was the mountain dweller from firm of limb and swift-footed. Uh, taking according to his whim from those who passed his way. Mighty was his bow of Anshan wood, sinew strong, it sped swiftly his straight shot arrows. Keep in mind, we know that Abraham was a warrior, if you recall the rescuing lot episode. Uh, he would have, according to this, he would have learned this from the school he was in at a very young age. 
starting at age, at least from this age three, high on the mountains wandered another, Yaddle his name. Now, Yaddle, I'm going to tell you right now, this is Ikindu, all right, from the Epic of Gilgamesh. This is where we're seeing the connection. He's a wild man. Yaddle is a Sasquatch creature. Yaddle his name, one who lived on herbs and wild honey, tall and long-haired, for no knife had it ever touched it. His hand tamed a wild wolf cub, and it was his companion. So Yaddle is a, a wild man who lives with a wolf in the woods. Wherever he went, the wolf followed. The wild beast did not molest him, and he walked freely among them. And, of course, my theory on the Sasquatch is that they're like the, the, the caretakers of the forest, the, the spiritual caretakers. Some cultures might call them trolls, other things like that. Uh, Herminator was a trapper of wild beasts. Uh, he dug a pit at the place where they came down to water and other traps were set. Yaddle passed that way. Now remember where I ended in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the trapper, the hunter, comes and finds him. Now this time it's Herminator that goes and finds him. The pit was filled in and the traps broken. The ensnared deer was set free. When Herminator returned and found the pit filled in and the traps broken, his heart was seized by a whirlwind. He raged against the skies. He swore against the trees. He sought for days. He sought but could not come upon Yaddle the evasive one, the cunning one. His traps were useless, his pits of vain labor. He hungered, and because he hungered, he became less cautious. When he lay in wait among the bushes to waylay men who um, who passed, he was not held back by thought of their number, but loosed his arrows and leapt among them. I'm going to just fast forward here. Um, uh, let's see. Well, I'll read this paragraph. For three days he lay in his place upon the mountain. His legs swelled up, and he thirsted, for he could not get water. He lay in a body of pain, and his spirit prepared to depart from him. A wolf came, and his hand sought a stone, but weakness held his arm, so it could not be cast. Then, lo, the wolf licked his hand and departed. Then Yaddle came, and his hand was a skin filled with fresh water, and he knelt beside Herminator and gave him a drink. Yaddle dressed the wounds and brought herbs to eat, and so it came to pass that Herminator grew strong again. Therefore, Herminator and Yaddle dwelt together within a cave among the mountains, but Yaddle would neither slay for meat nor eat of it, because he was, of course, a vegetarian. Yet they roamed the wild mountains together in joyous companionship, and their days sped swiftly by. Um, anyways, and then skip here to eight. These things were brought to the ears of the king, and those about the king said, let us take men up into the mountain and slay this wild hill, of this hill wanderer. So we're seeing interesting some comparisons here. And the reason I did this, the reason I kind of went down this weird rabbit trail uh, was because we see, again, going back, we see uh, Gilgamesh taking on the same kind of idea of Nimrod and the Pharaoh and the two of Bemleks. They're looking down, they're taking whatever women they want. And in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the the Mesopotamian gods create a uh, a wild man to confront Nimrod or I'm sorry Gilgamesh and stop him. Uh, in that one though, they go into this weird like homoerotic adventure. In fact, it, it, the fact of the matter, a lot of people don't know this, but the you know the oldest text in the world, if Epic of Gilgamesh is is a you know a homoerotic tale. In this one, uh, it's the same story except Herminator and Yodel. Uh, they they actually the the wild one or sorry Yaddle they go to confront the king who's the king Gilgamesh probably Nimrod and you know there's no nothing homoerotic going on in this one and they you know they take care of business so really interesting and I and I, I'm I'm seeing some things in Genesis where it's talking about these wild men like Ishmael and we see 
Esau, whatever's going on with his hairy body, right? And so you're just seeing a lot of common themes in these different ancient texts. I think it's worth uh, uh, pointing out. Okay, let's move on. Hopefully you guys didn't get lost in that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that that weird uh, uh, tale I took you down. And and by the way, I I want to read. Uh, I want to do a study on, of course, Book of Creation, the Book of Gleanings, and it's of course very for very mature audiences. It's one of those things where you know you're gonna read some things in there that like if if you're like a '66 Canon guy, you're just you know your head's gonna be spinning, and you know you're gonna have like the the spit of an angry camel uh, reading some of that stuff. But you know I find all of this stuff really fascinating. All right, Paleo Bereshia 26, 12 through 33. We'll read this, and once again I'll hand it off to. Um, to Michael for first commentary. Here, I got to put Dave's wave up there. Good uh, Shabbat Shalom, Dave. Good to see you. And of course, everybody else who's joining me live, Shabbat Shalom. Uh, Yetchak, however, removed from that country and went to Bashan. Yes, Bashan, as in Og of Bashan. He and his possessions. And Yahuwah, the ever living, prospered him. Thus the man traveled about and increased until he was very great. He also had flocks of sheep and herds of cattle and many servants in the uh, the Fala Shathuyam, or the, um, the uh, Philistines, were envious of him. On this account, they, the Philistines, uh, filled, with, uh, filled with earth all the wells that the servants of his father Abraham had dug in his days. Now keep in mind, there is a famine going on, and they're filling in the wells. So be interesting. Uh, well, I'll be commenting on that if, uh, if Michael doesn't. No pressure, Michael. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> Abimelech also said to Yitchak, go from among us, for you are much stronger than we. So Yitchak went from there and encamped by the great river Gerar and remained there. Yitchak also settled and cleared out the wells of water which were dug in the time of his father Abraham. And he called them by the names they were called in the days of his father. The servants of Yitchak also dug in the valley and discovered there a spring of living water. But the shepherds of Gerar contended with the shepherds of Yitchak and said, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Strife because they disputed with him. He therefore dug another well and they contended about that also. So he called its name Contention. He then removed from there and dug another well and they did not fight over it. So he called its name Room Enough. <laughs> but he said, now, Yahuwah, you have given us room and made us fruitful in the land. Afterwards, he arose from there and went to the well of the vision. Uh, who was it that was asking me about the, uh, the the mountain, I think, of vision? Or was it the well of the vision the other day? And Yahuwah, and Yahuwah the ever-living, appeared to him that night and said, I am the Alahaya uh, of your father Abraham. Fear not, for I am with you and will barak you. And of course, that's bless you. And increase your race because of my servant Abraham. Then he built an altar at the place and called on the name of Yahuwah, the ever-living, and he pitched his tent there. The servants of Yitchak dug a well, and Abimelech went to him from Gerar with his chief herdsmen and Thiakol, uh, the general of his army. Yitchak therefore asked them, why have you come to me when you are my enemies and have driven me from among you? And they replied, we are terribly afraid because Allah, Allah Hayam is with you. So we would say, let there now be an understanding between us and you, and let a treaty be made with you so that you will not go wrong to us. If we do not touch you, and as we have certainly done good to you, and sent you away in peace, you are now the Barawak uh, of Yahuwah, the ever-living, or the blessed of Yahuwah. 
He therefore made them a feast, and they ate and drank, and rose up in the morning. I wonder if that's a salt covenant happening right there. I'm not really sure. And rose up in the morning when they swore each to his brother. Then Yitchak sent them away, and they went from him in peace. In the same day also the servants of Yitchak came and informed him about the well which they had dug. And they said, We have found water. He therefore called it Satisfaction. Consequently, the name of the village by the well is called Satisfaction to this day. All right, so Michael, handing it over to you for commentary. All right, thank you. Yeah, I just have a quick summary, kind of the, the well story. Um, you know, this is the third, actually the second of three well encounters between a man and a woman in the Pentateuch. Um, the unnamed servant and Rebecca. Um, here we have Jacob and Rachel, and then Moses and Sipporah. And each encounter has seven basic elements that are the same. So a man travels to a distant land. Uh, he arrives at a well. A girl comes or a woman comes to draw water at the well. The man approaches the girl and speaks with her. The girl returns to her people to tell them what this man has told her. The man is introduced to the girl's people and the girl becomes the bride of the, the bridegroom. And, you know, there is a foreshadowing of Yeshua um, encounter with a Samaritan woman, which actually contains the same seven elements. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have made connections about of like a Gentile bride or um, bringing in bringing Samaritan into the covenant of Israel. Um, so I just thought that was cool that there's three, you know, we already talked about it, how, you know, Yah's repetitive. I think this is just another example um, of meeting meeting a woman at the well. Um, that's all I got for that part. <laughs> so here's here's what I think is happening with the. Uh, sorry, this comment's kind of covering your face. I think right now, Michael. <laughs> Here, I'll put that so people read it and give it. Okay, there we go. All right, people can go back and pause it if they want to read it. Uh, here's what I think is happening with the wells. Uh, so Abraham is going around, he's digging all these wells. He's actually, you know, barocking the people. He's blessing the people with these amazing wells he's digging. But what he was doing was, is that he was naming each well after a different, like he was a, you know, he was a, a prophet and a preacher. And he's going around and telling people about Yahuwah, right? This amazing Allah that he follows, uh, that he's going to, you know, is going to make him into this great people. So he's going around in naming the different wells after different names or quality, character qualities of Allah Hayam and his son, Yahuwah. And so after it, it, they start, they, it, it's almost like um, Abraham is so rich and so powerful and probably highly respected, right? Because, you know, there was that incident with the, the, the battle of the, of the five kings that went array. And Abraham goes in there with um, uh, Eliezer and his men and they, you know, take all the spoils back and all this kind of stuff he would have been highly celebrated uh but you it's right after he dies that they start burying these so it's like okay we respected you in life now we're going to disrespect you because we it, it was it was almost like they the, the the contention was a spiritual one i mean that shows you the extent that there was a drought a famine in the land and they're burying wells which they need that for, to feed their flocks but it it was it was almost like a contention against Yahuwah. This is how much they they dis, disparaged of him, and they don't want anything to do with him. Uh, and I think that that's what's happening there. And of course, then you see Yitchak going back around and, uh, and digging up the wells again. So um, there's just, anyways, I have some uh, 
quotes here on fountains of living water. Now, this in no way uh, exhaust this idea of, of living water. Um, I, I would actually like to do a, a side study on this and, you know, talk about like the uh, how the different uh, I have actually commented on like, like star cities and star forts and things like that, like medieval cities, how they built them around water, right? Like living water. And you're, you're going to see kind of something similar here tonight for the prophecy of the millennial kingdom. But uh, we see here in Yermiyahu 2.13, this is Jeremiah, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So what just happened in Bereshith? We saw these people filling in these the, the cisterns of living water, the wells of living water. Um, and now he's basically saying, uh, Yahuwah, I, I believe Yahuwah is speaking here, and he's saying, my own people now are doing that. What what the the people under Abimelech were doing, my own people are doing that now. They have such disdain for me. They, they don't want my wills that I offer them. They're, you know, they're bearing them. And then we see in uh, Yermiahu, so this would be Jeremiah again, uh, 1713. Oh, Yahuwah, the hope of Yasharel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken Yahuwah, the fountain of living water. So again, so we, we again, we see a theme that the, the people bearing the, the wells were doing it because they were forsaking the Elohim, the Elohim of Abraham, Yahuwah. This is in Yochanan 738, popular quote. That would be the Gospel of John. He believed, he, this is Yahushua HaMashiach speaking. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And let's jump over here to Revelation 717. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Um, and again, remember, um, we, we know that uh, Yitshak was a shepherd of his people as well as Yaakov. And of course, we haven't really gone to Yaakov so much right in this passage, but it's it's Yitshak. He's going around being a shepherd, right? Filling in or, or retrieving the wells again, as Abraham did. He will he will lead them to the springs of living water. And Alahayam will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, I'm assuming, uh, I could put Elohim there. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of assuming it we're just going to say Elohim of course you know uh Yahuwah Elohim would be his full name as well and this comes from Zachariah or Zechariah 14:8 on that day this is talking about the kingdom of Mashiach or we would call the thousand year reign on that day living water will flow out of Yerushalayim half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter uh Zechariah 14:8 uh, actually, I, I take that back. That may not be. That actually, uh, that actually may fit in with the the final restoration um, in uh, Revelation 20. I said that was a thousand year reign, but that that may not be so. Uh, because we're going to read here Revelation 22:1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of Allah Hayam and, and of the Lamb. So this is you can put this chronologically after the short season. And I don't know what, whatever. Little little uh, little Freudian slip there, I guess. Returning to my old ways, Revelation twenty two seventeen. Uh, the Ruach and the Bride say, "Come," and let the one who hears say, "Come." Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the waters of life. 
And um, and so it's the idea that eventually within the world, there's going to be uh, the, the waters of life are just going to be free for everybody because eventually we'll live in a world where uh, I believe that, you know, everyone will uh, have a, uh, the be living in the renewed covenant of having the circumcised heart. And there won't be the contention. People won't be trying to bury the wells. I mean, that's what we saw, right, with the, the whole, like, the mud flood Tartarian research of people trying to destroy it, trying to bury it, right, in the mud. Just like what we saw with the Bimelech's people. Same thing with the wells, the river of life, or the, the, the water of life. They're trying to bury it. And we see this time and again, but we're going to hit a time in history where the waters of life will flow eternally, and nobody's going to try to bury it up. Um, all right, Paleo Bereshith, chapter 26. Uh, now we're going to go, uh, this is going to be the long haul, verses 34 through 28, 9. So here we go. Uh, let's see, do we have any new comments? Okay. Actually, Pamela, I'm going to take your comment down, sorry, because then I realize that you can't read what I'm reading. When, uh, when Esau was 40 years old, he took as a woman... Yaha Yuadeath, the daughter of Ba'aria, the Chathuya, and I'm glad you struggle with these words too, Michael. This <laughs> man, this is I, I really struggle with these. And Bashamoth, the daughter of Ayala uh, Yuan, the Chathuya, but they were a bitter ruach to Yitchak and Rivka. So it's kind of interesting here because I just I just picked up on this just now that we see that Esau is deceiving his father all this time. Now, Rivka can see through it, we think. It appears she can. Uh, but now it's like his his who he truly is, Esau, is coming out in his wives, in their daughters-in-laws. And now these daughter-in-laws are, you know, they're 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 becoming bitter to not just Rivka, but Yitzhak. He's he's like starting to see it. Now he may be, you know, shifting the blame to the wives. Uh, you know, his his dear son could do no wrong, right? But uh, anyways, just keep reading. And when Yitchak was old and his eyes dim that he could not see, he called his eldest son uh, Esau and said to him, my son. And he replied, here, um, I am here. Then he said, see now I am old and I know not the day of my death. So now take up your spear, quiver and bow and go to the field to hunt venison for me. It'll be that mighty hunter for me, the, the son I love. And make and make me tasty food such as I love, and bring it to me, and I will eat it, so that my soul may bless you before I die. But Rivka heard the speech of Yitzhak to um, Esau, his son, and I'll, I'll be reading a little bit later from the um, the Aramaic Targum, where she actually they say that uh, she hears the speech through the Ruach Hakodesh, because the Ruach Hakodesh, the mother of Yashrael, is always like the kind of the you know trying to work out these quarrels in the family kind of like a, a true mother and then esau had gone to the field to hunt venison to bring in and then rivka spoke to yakov her son and said i have just heard your father speak to your brother uh esau saying bring to me venison and make me tasty food that i may eat it and i will bless you before i die so now my son listen to my voice to do what i shall order you Go to the flock and select for me two good kids of the goats, and I will make tasty food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall carry it, carry it to your father when he will eat, and because of it, he will bless you before his death. And Yaakov said to Rivka, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, 
and I am a smooth man. Can't <laughs> can't compete with the Sasquatch, right? I'm not saying that his brother's a Sasquatch, by the way, but you know, he's hairy like he's a bear of a man. When my father feels me, I shall be in his eyes like a swindler and shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. And isn't that interesting that that Yitchak's entire life, Esau is deceiving him, and yet uh Yaakov has been the the honest one the obedient one and so now he's like but if i'm if i'm deceitful one time i'll lose everything like my father would just toss me to the curb and his his older brother gets away with everything and this is like bringing out like therapy for me like does anyone else here like an elder brother or have an older brother whatever like the same things happen to you man it's like it's just the, the family dynamics continue on his mother however said to him let any curse for you come on me, my son. Only you go and do as I tell you. He consequently went and did it and brought to his mother, and she made for him tasty food such as his father loved. Then Rivka took some of the clothes of her son, Esau, which were in the house with her, and put them on her younger son, Yaakov. I'll give you a preview there. that The clothing is what we read in Yasher, what he stole from Nimrod. The clothing originally came from Adam and Chua the serpent's clothing. Uh, and she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the dainties and the bread which she had made into the hand of her younger son, Yaakov. And he went to his father and said to him, Father, and he replied, I am here. Who are you? And when, ya when Yaakov answered, I am your eldest son, Esau. I have done as you asked me. Rise now, turn and eat of my venison so that your soul may barak Yitchak, however, asked his son, how is it you have been so quick in meeting with it, my son? So he replied, because your Yahuwah, the ever-living Al-Hayah, brought it before me. Then Yitchak said to Yaakov, come near me, my son, and I will feel if you are really my son, uh, Esau, or no. So Yaakov approached uh, Yitchak, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Therefore, he did not detect him because his hands were like hands of his brother Esau, hairy, and he was thankful. Yet he asked, are you really my son uh, Esau? And he replied, I am. Then he said, bring it to me and I will eat of the venison of my son so that my soul may bless you. He consequently presented it to him and he ate and he brought wine to him and he drank. Then Yitchak, his father said, come close now, my son, and give me a drink. So he approached and gave him a drink. And he smelt the smell of his clothes and was satisfied and said, yes, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which Yahuwah has blessed. And may Allah Hayam give to you the dew from the skies and the fatness of the earth and increase and possession. Isn't that interesting? He actually just gave a true character of Yaakov uh, to Yaakov, thinking that he was Esau, who is not, uh, uh, is would not be the smell of a field which Yahuwah is blessed. Really interesting. And the fatness of the earth and increase in possession. Nations shall serve you and bow down to you. Yes, a multitude of mighty peoples with your brothers also shall pay tribute to you, my son. If any curses you, he shall be cursed. And if any barak you, he shall be uh, barak or, or I guess blessed. 
But it happened that Yitzhak had completed the Barak of Yaakov, and Yaakov had gone away from the presence of Yitzhak, his father. Then Esau, his brother, came with his venison, and he also made dainties and brought them to his father and said to his father, Arise, my father, and eat of the venison of your son, so that your soul may Barak me. Yitzhak, his father, however, asked of him, Who are you? And he replied, I am your firstborn son, Esau. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, it's a good thing that like he actually left the room. Can you imagine what would have happened if Esau entered and Yitzhak was still there? Then Yitzhak was terrified with a great, very great terror and asked, Who then is he who has hunted venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all before you came, and I have knelt and given gifts to him. Yes, and he must be uh, blessed, or uh, Baruch. When uh, Ashayua or Esau heard the speech of his father, then he cried with a very great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, me, my father. But he replied, Your brother has come with deception and stolen your barak. And he answered, He was rightly named Tripper Up, for he has tricked me this twice to take my birthright and also now to take my blessing. Then he asked, Have you not a blessing left for me? But Yitchak replied and said to Esau, Since I have made him your Adon and have given all his brothers to him for servants, and with increase in possession, I have endowed him. Where now, my son, is there anything I can do? And Esau said to his father, Is there then only one Barakaha? Bless me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Yitchak, his father, answered and said to him, This is like, this whole conversation is painful because it's like, it, it's almost like I feel like I'm listening to my two sons argue. I mean, if they're listening, I love you guys, but <laughs> it's just like, it's like you, you see this with siblings all the time where like Esau has already gone through the whole thing. Like this is like therapy for me right now. Esau has gone through the entire thing where he's like, yeah, there's no afterlife, whatever. I'm giving up my inheritance. No big deal. Give me the soup. He puts it in writing. And now he's like, he's like, he's pretending like that never existed. Right. And he's making this big deal about it. You know, and then you, I'm sure they can get into the he said, she said argument afterwards, right? You know, he hit me first, that kind of stuff. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Yitchak, his father, answered and said to him, Yes, the most fertile land shall be your dwelling. And with the dew from the skies above, and you shall, li uh, you shall uh, live life by your sword and shall serve your brother. Yet when you stretch forth, you shall break his yoke from off your neck. But Esau hated Yitchak for the Barakaha with which his father had gifted him. And Eshawa, uh, Esau, said in his heart, The day approaches for the mourning of my father when I shall kill my brother. Now he's deciding right there, if we get if I get to read the Targum tonight, starting a little late, uh, that he, he's deciding that he's not going to repeat the sin of Cain uh, and killing Abel while his father Adam lived. He, he's like, that's the mistake that Cain made. Uh, he's going to wait till Yitchak is dead, and then he's going to kill his brother. But the words of her elder son Esau was, were reported to Rivka. So she sent and called her younger son Yaakov and said to him, Now Esau, your brother, intends to kill you. Consequently, my son, listen to my voice and arise and go away to Laban, my, uh, Laban, my, Laban, Laban, my brother, at Haran, and stay with him for some time until the anger of your brother against you has passed. And he forgets what you have done to him. I will send and fetch you from there. Why should I be deprived of both in one day? Then Rivka said to Yitchak, I hate my life in the presence of these uh, half girls. 
if Yaakov should take a woman from among these uh, or these chaff girls, such girls are they in this country. Why should I live? Um, and um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just finish this. Uh, I think this is the end of the Torah portion. And then I'll, I'll hand it over to uh, Michael for comment. I don't think it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael. I don't think it goes beyond this. Consequently, uh, Yitzhak called for Yaakov and blessed him and commanded him not to take a woman from the girls of Canaan. I will just quickly say here, it's really interesting that uh, it says, uh, let me get the words here. Uh, <laughs> Rivka says, I hate my life in the presence of these local girls. I think these local women gave her a very, very hard time uh, when she could not conceive. And uh, I think that they were in their cliques and they cast her out. She wasn't in it. And I think she never forgot that. But anyways, Yitchak is now commanding him not to take the local girls, the Canaanites. Arise, go to a, 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 a Pada Nuha Aram or a Padam Aram to the house of Bathuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a woman from there, from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And El, um, El Shaddai, he will barak you and make you fruitful, increase, and, and may you become an assembly of nations. And may he give the uh, Barakaha of Abraham to you and your seed with you to inherit the land of your strange, uh, strangerhood, which Allah gave to Abraham. Thus, Yitchak sent off Yaakov, and he traveled to Padamaram, to Laban, the son of Bathuel, the Aramea, the brother of, Rebbe, uh, of Rivka, or Re uh, Rebecca, the mother of Yaakov, and uh, Eshawat. But when uh, Eshawat knew that Yitchak had blessed Yaakov, oh, I'm sorry, Esau, but when Esau knew that Yitchak had blessed Yaakov and sent him to Padamaram, to take a woman from there to comfort him and had ordered him saying, take not a woman from the girls of Canaan. Now keep in mind, Esau did take girls from Canaan, right? And that, uh, and, and, and so it's kind of like coming out now. Like he knows like, oh, that's how my father feels about my wives. And that Yaakov had listened to the voice of his father and mother. So he hates them more because he's actually being obedient instead of deceiving them. It had gone to Benamaram, then Esau perceived that the girls of Canaan were displeasing the eyes of Yitchak, his father. So Esau went to uh, 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 Yishmael and took Mekala, um, uh, the daughter of Yishmael, the son of Abraham, the sister of uh, Nubayah, besides his other women, as a woman to himself. All right. That was a lot of reading, but I'm handing it over to you, Michael. Uh, thank you for being so patient there while I read all that. Uh, whatever comes. Yeah, not a problem at all. It's awesome. Um, Dolly puts, uh, Isaac then blessed Esau and said, when you have gained the ascendancy, you will throw off the yoke of your brother Jacob. So that, that was cool. Um, yeah, I only have a handful uh, full of things. Um, you know, a big part of this was the deception. Um, you know, everybody has their own interpretation of it. Um, you know, I'm confused, just like probably a lot of people are. But at Jubilees, you know, this... I found a, an interesting, I never noticed, I read Jubilees a handful of times. I never noticed this. Um, Jubilees 26, 17 and 18. And Jacob went near Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not. Now here's the big part. Because it was a dispensation from heaven to remove his power of perception. And Isaac discerned not, for his hands were hairy, as his brother Esau's, so that he blessed him. Jubilees 26, 17, and 18, 
he didn't recognize him. You know, everybody has their own opinion. Was he just playing along? Did he know? Jubilee says, because of a dispensation from heaven to remove his power of perception. That was crazy to me. So that opened up a lot of questions, kind of answered some things. It kind of, you know, I was thinking about free will and all that kind of stuff where we can just literally just, I guess it's like a spiritual blindness or whatever, shut, shut things off. Um, but, you know, Rebecca knew um, from Yahweh that this was to be so. So in Genesis 25, 23, we read it earlier. Yahweh said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from the birth shall be divided and the one shall be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger. So she already knew the prophecy. It appears, you know, Jacob didn't know. It wasn't really picking sides or playing along. It literally came from father that there was a dispensation of heaven to remove his power of perception. So that, that was interesting. Um, and I thought that was just cool. Number 10 says, then he shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Oh, 11, sorry. Jacob answered his mother, Rebecca, behold, Esau, my brother is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. And even in the paleo, it's also a smooth man, you know? Um, so I did a word study. The only word study I did all day um, in the Masoretic, at least that word is halak. H-A-L-A-Q, it's used twice, two other times besides this. So Esau is hairy and he is a smooth man. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. That word flattering is smooth. So a flattering mouth works ruin. I, I would say that's a bad thing. Ezekiel 12, 24, For there will no longer be any false vision or deceptive divination within the house of Israel. That word deceptive is smooth. So what do you guys make about that? There's, you know, Jacob is trying to say, yeah, I'm just a smooth man. But the only two times that's used are flattering mouth works ruin and deceptive divination. There will not be any more deceptive divination within the house of Israel. thought that was very interesting. Um, and number 26, it says, then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So that's what it says in the in the Masoretic. But the Paleo didn't say that. It says, um, doesn't say kiss me in my son. It says, give me a drink. So please come close and give me a drink. Um, but in the Masoretic, it says, kiss me, my son. So I was hoping Pam could elaborate more on that. I thought that was an interesting difference. Um, let's see what else I got here. Okay, so you know, we've been talking about Isaac, Rebecca, and Jacob. Um, it's kind of a summary. Um, that, you know, if, if you're just reading this, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's a big conspiring, you know, they're conspiring of Risa, poor Risa, um, you know, but father's just. And so, you know, they all paid a painful price, you know, for what they did in, in trying to usurp God's plan. Uh, Isaac became completely alienated from his wife and younger son. The one's holy family disintegrated into a dysfunctional family filled with mistrust, hatred, and desire for revenge. Rebecca sent away Jacob, sent Jacob away to protect him from his angry brother, but she never saw her beloved Jacob again. You know, she she basically died and didn't see him again. Jacob, this is commentary saying, who deceived his father, was himself deceived by his uncle Laban, his bride Leah, and, most, and his own sons. So, you know, they this, you know, no matter how do you think this deception, quote unquote, there was some punishment. You know, there's, you know, we are in covenant, but our sins, we're still paying for some sins that we do. Um, and I just thought that was kind of an interesting take on that. 
that Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob didn't get, you know, they didn't get off scot-free. They had to pay for certain things. Um, I think this is the last thing. No, that's it. That's all I have. So I enjoyed it. Thanks, Noel. Yeah, so I, uh, I, you know, I have questions about this passage too. And it's one of those things that I, I, I probably haven't wrestled with enough. I need to really dig more into it. Maybe next year I'll have a better... Uh, but what you said about Julie's was really confirms what the Aramaic Targum says, right? That um, that there was a, a can you repeat that one more time that what it said in Jubilees? Sure. Yeah. So let me see. It's Jubilees 26, 17 and 18. And Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not because it was a dispensation from heaven to remove his power of perception. And Isaac discerned not, for his hands were hairy, so that he blessed them. So, so that, it seems like the idea is that uh, uh, Yahuwah, or the, heaven itself, kind of created confusion in uh, in Yitzhak so that he was not able to discern. He, like in his mind, like there was there was like a conflict because he's like, this is not Esau. But then like heaven's like, Root, and it's like, nope, okay, I guess you're, I guess you, you are Esau. And that that would back up what uh, it, I don't know if I'm gonna read. The, it's kind of getting late. I'm, I'm not gonna read the whole passage of the Aramaic Targum. I can kind of sum it up. Uh, there, there's some really interesting things in there um, about how. Uh, well, maybe I'll skim over it. But I've heard a lot of different um, some Torah teachers. They because they they really struggle with. I think everyone really struggles with this. And this is one of those passages where if you study like the mythology of a trickster. Uh, the the Native Americans have the trickster like with the coyote, uh, the you know Mercury, the god Mercury would be a trickster, and you know the, you, you study how the idea of a, 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 the Joker from Batman, he's a trickster, right? And the idea of a trickster is that they're uh, they're moving the the boundary markers by tricking people into it, and that's how you could. Uh, I have a whole paper on Lucille Ball. I love Lucy. How she was. Uh, a trickster, and she was actually using comedy to change the morale within America uh, very slowly. Now, I mean, it seems tame to today's standards, but um, you know, back in the fifties, it was pretty radical stuff. Um, and and so, a lot of people they don't like this idea that there seems to be like this trickster um, thing going on with uh, Yaakov. But what I will say in there uh, is that whatever is happening is that Yaakov is being obedient to his mother. Um, doing what his mother has commanded him to do. And I think that Yaakov also recognizes, I think that if Yaakov is like, his mother is telling him to do something contrary to to the, the will of heaven, that I think he would have chosen the will of heaven. Um, I think that he perceives it. Maybe he's a little confused. He's like, okay, I'll just do this. I don't have all the answers to this. Uh, but you see that the, the Ruach Kakadesh in the Aramaic Targum, you know, let me just go ahead and... Um, and jump into that here. Let's see if I can find it. Um, I'll get back to these midrashes in a second. Um, all right. And okay, so right here, you should go see this on the screen here. Let me uh, move this uh, comment by Agar Trollop. Shabbat Shalom, Agar. Good to see you here. And it said, And Rivka heard by the Ruach HaKadesh as Yitchak spake with Esau his son. And Esau went to the field to take venison to bring it. So the Ruach HaKadosh literally comes in here and and tells Rivka, okay, this is the conversation that's going on. This is what's about to happen right now. It's your chance to move. 
So you can totally see how this is the will of heaven here. And and I almost think that uh, the reason why, you know, we can talk about how uh, Yitzhak was tricked into this, but it, it's almost like, I mean, I'm trying to figure out like what the conversation is going like in heaven in the council. It's like, we have tried to get through to Yitzhak and for whatever reason, he's being tricked by Esau. He's being deceived by him. Rivka can see it. Um, and you know, he, like, we've got to intervene. We've got to do something here because, you know, uh, Esau, it's fair because Esau has sold his birthright. So, uh, we can do this. We can legally do this because he's handed over. I, I almost think something like that is happening. Um, and, um, anyways, yeah. So let me go back up here to the midrashes. I think I'm going to end on this, um, and uh, actually, no, before I do this, let me jump here at the very end of this document. I have this small section from Yasher 2911. Let's see what I wrote here. And Yaakov was very much afraid of his brother Esau, and he rose up and fled to the house of Eber, the son of Shem. Okay. So that's interesting. So it's like when Rivka tells him, you need to get out of here, what is the first place he thinks about? He wants to go to the house of Yahuwah uh, for protection. Would Esau go there? No, he wouldn't go there. And he concealed himself there on account of his brother and Yaakov was 63 years old when he went forth from the land of Canaan from Hebron. Still not married. Amazing. He's, uh, how old is he again? 63 years old, never taken a wife. And Yaakov was concealed in Eber's house 14 years on account of his brother Esau. So he hasn't even gone back to Laban yet. He's hanging out uh, in Eber's house in Shem school um, on in in the temple of Melchizedek, the one that they found in Yerushalayim. Like it gives me like, like I get these like nerd chills when I think about that. Cause you know, I want it. If I ever go to Israel, I want to go to the, the temple of uh, Melchizedek that was discovered there. This is the same one guys that Noah was hanging out in. And Yaakov was concealed in Eber's house 14 years on account of his brother Esau. And there he continued to learn the ways of Yahuwah and his commandments. So that's, that's a really exciting passage there. All right. And of course we'll get into later next week now i wanted to cover real quick here as you can see this is a long passage i'm not going to uh, force you guys through this uh the midrashes here of of paul and i wanted to throw these in just if there are questions for anybody you know to kind of re uh refocus how we look at the new testament that these guys are literally writing letters and putting them in the mailbox to explain to the goyim being grafted into yashiro becoming hebrews on look you're having these Torah portions because Yaakov says so, a James says so in Acts 15. He's like, look, we'll just get them into the synagogues. They're going to hear from Moses, right? We're going to have these very basic rules for them. Make sure, you know, they're not doing the blood and all that kind of stuff. But we're going to get them into the synagogues on Sabbath, and they're going to start reading the Torah portions like what we're doing right now. And so Paul is writing these letters, and he's just writing commentary on the Torah. And we're going to see how he's writing a midrash here of this lentil soup uh, episode. So let's see what it says in Philippians 3, 18 through 19. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the tree of Mashiach, whose end is destruction, whose Elohim is their belly and whose glory is their shame who set their minds on earthly things. So I know that was a really short passage, but he is inciting here the belly of Esau and that, you know, his end was destruction because he was just thinking of earthly things and not spiritual things, right? The, the very fact that, like, 
like Yitchak is putting out like your entire spiritual inheritance right here. And Esau's like, what spiritual inheritance? You know, go, 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 right? Um, and of course, Paul is saying that this, you know, this will lead many people to destruction. Um, and uh, that they are, they're actually, he says they're actually enemies of Mashiach. And I think that's the unfortunate thing of many who are, uh, I, I've, you guys have heard me say many times that there are, I think, in different religions and, diff and even in Christianity, there are way more people out there that are, that have a Torah-centric heart and are being obedient to the commands than they let on that they even know. But unfortunately, there are those within the camp that Paul is talking about here, like Esau was in the camp, that are actually hostile towards Mashiach. And they are deceiving just as Esau did. And it will lead to their destruction. Uh, because they're not, you know, really thinking about this from a spiritual perspective. You know, it's almost like, you know, they're on Team Jesus. You know, they're, you know, he's their, the, 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 the hometown football team that they cheer on. So they think they're good to go. All right, here's another Midrash from Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. Of course, I'm of the opinion that um, I actually like the theory that a woman wrote Hebrews. Um, I think uh, I, I actually do not believe uh, that Paul wrote this. I have my reason. I won't go into it now. I actually... It, a lot of people say so. I really do not believe he did, but that's a, a mute point. A, a mystery person wrote this. Uh, I think from the, the the Church of Rome. I think the person who wrote this actually there's a a chance that they either never went to Jerusalem and probably never visited the temple. All right, and Paul obviously did. All right, so follow shalom with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see Yahuwah. Looking dil diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of Allah Hayam, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance though he sought it, sought it carefully with tears. So, um, all right. So it is exactly 10 o'clock. It was a uh, two hour um, uh, talk between us. Uh, it was really great time, Michael. Thank you for um, coming by and you have an open invitation. I would love it. Any, any week you want to come back, you are more than welcome to come here and um, take part in this. Just let me know and I'll, I'll probably be pestering you as well. Uh, so um, thank you, everybody who uh, has come by and making this, uh, supporting um, supporting us here, making this a part of your Friday night, leading into Sabbath uh, tradition, whether you consider sundown Sabbath or sunrise Sabbath, whatever. Uh, thank you for making this a part of your life. And, uh, and of course, watching it throughout the weekend as well. And that'll be it. So Shabbat Shalom, guys. I uh, hope you guys have a great restful day. I know uh, I, I sure plan to. And, uh, you know, be catching up on my reading, all sorts of stuff. Love you guys. Good night, everybody. That's Shabbat it. Shabbat Shalom. Love you, Noah.